Praise the Lord. We're going to talk about preparations for the year 2014. I don't know whether y'all thought it was a quick year in 2013 or not. It was a quick year. <laughs> I guess it's relative for some of us to seem like, man, where'd it go? And then other people are like, thank God, I got through it. <laughs> um, but anyway, we're going to go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 27. And we're going to read verses 27 through 32. Proverbs 24, 27 through 32. And it reads, Prepare thy work without, and make it fit for thyself in the field, and afterwards build thine house. Be not a witness against thy neighbor without cause, and deceive not with thy lips. Say not, I will do so to him as he have done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. It seems kind of odd, and when it came to my heart, I was like, well, I don't know if this is necessarily a New Year's verse, but then when I looked at it, and we see that it's telling us to prepare our work and make it fit for ourselves for a field. And as you do certain things, you are now qualified to build and establish your home. So it makes a lot of sense. And then it goes on and it talks about looking at somebody's field and how it was overgrown with thorns and the wall was broken down and there was nettles and stuff like that. It looked like a mess. And if you've ever been to a place where uh, either a home or a yard or a, a field looks like a mess, you look at that and you say, man, that's jacked up. But the reality is, even though it looks like a mess, you can learn stuff from it in terms of how not to do something or what you shouldn't do as you prepare to have your own field, your own vineyard, your own home. Amen? So that's the main point of what the Lord placed upon my heart. And as we're preparing to enter the year 24, Basically, we should take time to do a personal inventory of ourselves. What do we plan coming into 2013, and was it accomplished? <laughs> what things emerged in 2013, whether it was good things and opportunities or it was bad? And as we're ending the year 2013 and we go back and look across January 1st until now, what things are yet to accomplish that we are taking into 2014? What things have, have emerged that are problematic that we need to resolve before the end of the year? Or have we prepared ourselves to handle them going into 2014 so that we're not looking at them as we go into 2015? Amen? So that's basically why the Lord had me look at this, that we would have that time to have a, a personal inventory and not look at the lives of other people in their fields and their homes and the messes in their lives to say, oh, that's messed up and that's a shame, but to look at that and say, hey, is this my field maybe? Is my life jacked up? Is my home messed up? Is my yard and my environment and the place that I inhabit, is it all in tatters? Is it jacked up? Is it overgrown with weeds? Does it have nettles in it? So we can learn from looking at others around us, and we can also look at our own life and take an inventory of it as to where we are as we're preparing to end this year and hopefully go into a fruitful 
2014. Amen? Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Father, for your word. And right now, we thank you once again for another year of life. We surely do not deserve it, and we thank you, Father, for the divine favor that when so many people passed in the year 2013, you saw fit to get us to this point, to give us a precious opportunity to go into another year. And we thank you, Father, that it would be a fruitful year. We thank you in advance, Father, that even as we do a personal inventory of ourselves, Father, that you will show us those areas in which we're flawed. You will show us those areas in which we need to improve, to challenge ourselves, to correct ourselves, to strengthen ourselves, to be more motivated, to be more um, focused. Whatever it needs to be, Lord, we praise and thank you that even before we go into another year, we would um, um, have that revealed to us by your spirit and we would take the right steps, Father, to make 2014 the best years of our lives not just for ourselves but also in terms of our servitude to you and we just praise and thank you father for this in the name of jesus we pray amen hallelujah so i talked about a personal inventory and as i was looking at this you know i asked the lord well some of the things what are some of the things that we can examine when we take a personal inventory of ourselves if we were a store and you walked in especially <laughs> after all these uh, Black Friday sales right after Thanksgiving, all these sales throughout Christmas, and then even after Christmas as you go into stores and you see them starting to restock shelves, amen, a lot of times as you walk in, there's times where you go to pick up something and you see that this one shelf is totally empty. You're like, man, I was going to buy one of those. I actually had this happen to me. I was looking to buy something, but even though it was a minor item, the sales had gone so aggressively throughout the holiday season that this minor thing I wanted to, to get wasn't there even though there was a sale tag on the shelf. And I was like, ah, they're out of stock. <laughs> so as we look at our lives, amen, we take an inventory of ourselves, are there certain attributes or traits or goals or things that God had envisioned for us to do that as we had to take an account of our lives and what's on our shelves, spiritually, financially, emotionally, physically, are some of the shelves empty because we didn't even tackle that goal? Are <laughs> some of the things maybe partially there, but they're depleted and they need to be fortified or resupplied? Where are we at as we take a personal inventory of ourselves, and, and, and how do we compare that to what we need to be supplied with in order to be successful in the year 2014? And when I'm talking about success, I'm not necessarily talking about filling your bank account. That's a good thing. But I'm not saying that that's the only measure of success. How are we equipped or fortified in terms of things both spiritual, emotional, relational, physical? Where are we at? What stock do we have in our lives as we prepare to go into 2014? Now, the first thing I'm going to look at in terms of personal inventory is our spiritual goals. And it's just one verse I'm going to see from the book of Third John, uh, verse 1. I'm sorry, Third John chapter 1, verse 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. Now notice that. God is talking to us, and he's saying we're all beloved. Amen? That's a good thing to hear. But it's a funny thing that God, the master, the creator, the author, and finisher, the captain of our salvation, with all his power and all his authority, God is speaking to us, his beloved, and says, I wish something happened. 
wait a minute. Your power is infinite. <laughs> your authority, your wisdom is without comparison or measure. How can God wish something? He's the one that would think and speak, and it came into existence, and nothing could stop it, right? But yet God looks at us in this passage of Scripture and says, I wish that thou might be in good health and prosper. Why is God saying that except for the fact that the onus is on us? God has made everything available to you and I that we need to prosper and be in health, but he said the onus is on each one of us. And that's where we see even as, amen? That is the key phrase in this passage of Scripture. God wants each one of us to prosper and be in health. But he said the condition that each one of us has to fulfill is that we have to prosper in terms of our souls. Amen? And if we do that, God says everything else will come to follow. And the problem with people in this day and age is that we want to fill our bank accounts first. We want to make the first million or five million or ten million. We want to have fame and fortune and people's accolades and recognition. We want all those things first. And then once I establish myself, then I'll get a relationship with God. And God said, uh-uh, you got it wrong. He says, you want to be successful? You want to be healthy, mind, body, body, and spirit? You want to prosper not according to this world system's uh, description, but according to my description. First, you do the things that relate to your soul. And then all this other stuff will follow. Amen? It's very easy for God to make you successful, prominent, give you fame, give you money, give you big house and cars and all these different things. God has no problem whatsoever with doing that. You know, we've said a number of times, you know, that the CEO of, or the owner of, of, of Chick-fil-A, he's so rich that he actually lives off the 10% and gives away 90%. That's insane <laughs> to most of us. I mean, I don't know about your bank accounts, but if I gave 90% and kept 10%, I guess we'd be on <laughs> living in a motel or a street corner. <laughs> begging for money. I don't have it like that. And I don't know, I don't know of anybody that has it like that, that you could take 90% of your gross income when that pay paycheck comes in and say, all right, instead of giving 10% to church, I'm giving 90% to the church or the causes of God. I'll keep the 10% and it's still enough for me to live on. But even though he does that, he continues to prosper, prosper, and prosper, and the corporation is still growing. Matter of fact, it's growing to the point that on Sundays, even though uh, they have locations in some malls, they violate the guidelines of the malls, and they stay closed on Sunday when they're supposed to be open. And then they have some single locations where the whole building is Chick-fil-A. They are closed on Sundays. But this man still continues to prosper because his mindset is, I want to serve you first, God, and then Everything else will follow me. And God has exploded his corporation. So we cannot say that focusing on God first won't cause me to prosper in other areas. I'm here to tell you today that that is exactly what God will do. Even in a small term. I remember one time I left Independence Blue Cross for a contract that was going to pay me the highest salary I had ever made on an hourly rate. And I went out there, and everything was going good. And all of a sudden, they walked up to me one day, and they said, we're letting you go. I was like, let me go? I just started. <laughs> like, why? They said, well, it's not about you. They said, we ha we're in a dispute with a, with, a con with a consulting firm, 
and we decided we're going to let all contractors go. I said, I don't even work for that firm. I'm with another contracting firm. We decided we're letting you all go. I was like, wow. I left a good, well-paying job, came into a job that pays more, but the fact is if I would known this, I could have stayed where I was at because what I was making was pretty good. So here I am, unemployed, and the thing is, that very night, I had to go to Voice of Hope Deliverance. I was going to preach on overcoming <laughs> through all adversity. <laughs> so I was like, God will put you to the test. So I went in there and preached that message. And then a few days later, I went to see Miles Monroe over at um, uh, Deliverance over in Philadelphia. And when they did the altar call, and um, they were taking, sitting around the offering basket and stuff like that, he was on the stage. And somehow, I ended up on the front row. I don't know how that happened. I was like, I'm a dignitary. <laughs> Somehow I'm on the front row. So he's literally going on the stage, and he's going back, and he's praying for people. And I don't know if he sensed something in the spirit, but he kept staring at me. like, And I'm not talking about, well, I think, you know, he's staring at me. No, he ain't. No, he's, like, staring at me. And finally they did the altar call. I get up. I walk right up to his feet. And I was like, I believe the word. The word says, you know, at this one part of the scriptures that they laid um, offerings at the apostles' feet, and they're blessed. I put that money right at his feet. Three days later, I doubled my salary that I just left. Amen? So don't tell me you cannot prosper and be in good health if you put God first. I've done it. And more than once. <laughs> more than once. God bless you. So that's the thing. Personal inventory. Entering into 2014. Maybe we haven't done that this year and put God first. But going into, God bless you, she just want to be blessed. That's what it is. Mm. Fake sneezing. She's trying to get blessed. Wow, some people do anything to get a God bless you. Wow. Fake sneezing. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> God bless it be. <laughs> but um, as we're going to 2014, the point here is that maybe you haven't made God your number one priority in 2013. But how many years are we going to go without doing that? And then we get to the next year, we look back and say, I didn't make the amount of money I wanted. I didn't achieve this goal. I didn't do this or that. And we go through that cycle once again, only to, be, only to have me tell you once again, <laughs> put God first <laughs> before we had to do it again. So let's make that the number one in the next year. Taking inventory, making spiritual goals. What is your spiritual goal? Maybe you didn't study enough in 2013. Make 2014 the year that you study more. Maybe there's some ministry or something that God has placed in your heart to do. Maybe you just need to pray more. There's just different things God wants us to do. And if it's something you haven't done in 2013, make that our priority in 2014. Don't let yourself fail to be fortified in reaching some of your, some of your spiritual goals in 2014. <coughs> Psalm 34 8 through 10 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Look at that. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I remember one time. I was over at Blue Cross, and I was going through something, and the Lord ended up blessing me, and after he had blessed me, I came upstairs, and I started eating my cheesesteak, and God, as I was about to take the bite, the Lord's like, 
that's just like my blessings in your life. He said, see, I could do stuff remotely and just do it for you and not have you be a part of it. Just supernaturally, bam, give you that blessing. And you didn't have any interaction with it, but you're still going to praise me, but you didn't have any interaction with it. But he says, sometimes I want you to go out and be a part of your own miracle coming to place. Why? So you can taste and see that I am good. Amen? Taste and see that God is good. And we see here it says, blessed is the man that trusted in God. Do you trust God enough that you'll make him your primary focus as opposed to going out and pursuing materialistic things, fame and fortune, relationships, whatever it is? Do you trust God enough that you'll say, yes, I want all these things? but I'm going to put them on the back burner or focus, focus on you because you're the su- source of everything that I need anyway. God is saying if we trust him and fear him, in verse 9 it says, for there is no want to them that fear him. In other words, if you make me first, you don't have to worry about all that stuff that you think you need because I'm going to fulfill it. And the funny thing is, sometimes we think we need something, but when we get to the place that we truly trust God, we desire Him, and we hunger for Him more than anything else, somehow we find that wasn't such a big deal after all. So even if God says that something's not His will for your life, He'll get you to the place where you come to a conclusion that I didn't need it anyway. But the great thing is, if it's something that God wants you to have, he says, they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. You want a business, and it's according to God's will, and you pursue him first? God has no problem whatsoever with giving you that business. You you want a relationship. You want to save some money. You want healing your body. God does not want you to lack anything. So if something that is within his will for you to have, God has no problem giving it to you if you make him the first priority in your life instead of making those a priority. You know, I've even seen that in terms of people's health. They'll go to the gym seven days a week, two hour-long sessions. So they're a lean, mean fighting machine in terms of their physical body. They're a specimen, but they're empty inside and devoid of life because they don't have the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen? So there's nothing wrong with pursuing different things, but make God the number one priority. Amen? That's the word he placed upon my heart for 2014, that we need to take a spiritual inventory of ourselves and make our spiritual goals have more precedence than anything else in our lives. Next thing he had me look at is personal goals. Personal goals. God has no problem with you having personal goals. I want to be here in five years and develop a five-year plan. Here's what I want over the next three months. God has no problem with that whatsoever. But like I said, make the spiritual things first. But as we look at personal goals, Psalm 37, verses 3 through 5 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. I see a hand up in the air. Amen? Hallelujah. (laughs) Trust in the Lord and do good. How do we define good? According to the precepts of God. Amen? So you can go out and do something, but do you realize you can be in disobedience actually serving in ministry? Uh Uh-oh. 
I remember time I was at Solid Rock. I was on the choir and I had to sing a lead song. We'd already rehearsed it. We did it at church. We were supposed to hit the road and go down to a church in Delaware and sing. And Lord's like, nope, you ain't been home enough. So you're not going. He's like, you go tell them you're not singing. You're not going. I went to them. They looked at me cockeyed like I was crazy. What do you mean you ain't going? We're supposed to sing that? You got this thing all set up, keyboards going, bass playing. You got the lead. We're going. Ain't going. I said, for me to go to that church, it's sin. Your 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 theology is whack. You can't say that. How can you be in sin going to church? Because the Lord told me to take my butt home. So if I had gone, I'd been disobedience. Probably would have got there on that mic, cracked all through that song. Uh, singing like a frog. Now, I'll fix you. You want to sing? You want to perform? To see outside the will of God, it, w- it wouldn't have been glorifying him. Singing in disobedience is a performance. So God probably would be like, you're going to sing like a frog today. Or even if you sing and every note is perfect, you're still dis- in disobedience. I'm going to deal with you later. I told you not to go. <laughs> so trust in the Lord. Do good according to what he dictates for you. And that's the thing. You need to know for yourself what God has defined for you to do. That is what is good. What does the word say? To, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth not, to him it is sin. Amen? What you have to do and what God has defined for your life as good may be quite different than what I'm called to do. And both things could be great, both according to the word of God, but if I'm in the wrong lane or stretch too thin or focus on something I'm not called to be doing, it may not be good for my life, and, and as a result, it will not be fruitful. And that's why God says, trust in me and do good. And he says, when you do good, what happens? Thou shalt dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. You will dwell in the land. All this instability, economy, job market, this breaking down, that falling apart, that getting outsourced, that closing down. He said, if you trust in me and do good, don't even worry about that. And I'm not telling you to be a slacker. I'm not telling you to get rude to your boss. I'm not telling you well, to that if you don't like all the conditions of your job, well, I'm the blessed and favorite of God, I quit. I can get a new job anywhere. Your butt will be out of work. Because <laughs> God does not give us the grace to be cocky. But if we're doing good and we're focused on God and we're doing what he's called for us to do, God says that I'll protect you and preserve you at that spot, or even if it does shut down, I will line you up for something else that is appropriate and will meet your needs. I will make sure that you will be fed. So in other words, whether you go up or down, left or right, the company stays open, stays closed, you get laid off or you stay in, the, in your job, God says, because you're focusing on me and you're doing good according to what I've dictated for your life, I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry about it. Amen? You don't have to walk around with the same fears and anxieties of what those people could do to you or what that corporation could do or what the economy itself could do. You don't have to fear about that because I'm the one who's overseeing your life, watching it closely, and I'm going to make sure you're taken care of. Amen? I'm going to make sure. We see here it says, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of your heart. And sometimes you might say to yourself, well, how is that possible? You mean to tell me everything I ask God for I'm going to get? I can tell you without a shadow of doubt, everything Colin Train come to me and, and ask for it, they're not going to get me. Uh-uh. 
And some th- stuff I won't even think about for a long time. They'll come to me as soon as they ask it, no. When did you want to think about it? No. No. That ain't happening. And sometimes I'm right and sometimes I'm rude. <laughs> but there's certain things that get asked for, the answer is going to be no. So how can we turn this around and point this to God and say, if I ask him to desire in my heart, I'm going to get it? Well, the reason is because the word delight there is talking about coming into such a close-knit relationship with God and the understanding of his nature and communicating with him to such a, a, a close relationship that you won't even desire anything that's contrary to his will for your life in the first place. Amen? And that's why it's very easy for him to say yes, 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 yes. Because you won't even ask something that's outside of what he desires for your life. Because you understand him so much and what he desires for you. Amen? So God will give you the desires of your heart. He says here, commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Commit thy way unto the Lord. As you're focusing on your endeavor, you're pursuing your goals, that word commit is a key thing. It's easy when things are looking good and it looks like opportunities are opening up and, wow, I'm going to get this or I'm going to get that. I'm going to start this. It's going to prosper. It's very easy to say I trust in the Lord and he's given me desire in my heart and everything's hunky-dory when things are going good. But what about when you get rejected, declined, refused, rebuffed, laughed at? What does that word commit come in there? See, if you really trust in God, no matter what the responses or the setbacks are, you're going to stay focused. It's me and God. It's me and God. As a matter of fact, you can even say to yourself, I don't have any clue how he's going to let this come to pass. But it's all about me and God. It's me to God. See, it's not for me to focus on how it's going to happen, and how it's going to overcome the setbacks. It's for me to trust in him, stay close to him, and let him work out all the details. See, that's total, 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 absolute trust in God. That even though my natural senses tell me that it looks like this ain't going to happen, he said it is, so you know what? Let me keep my two cents out of it. God, you got this. You work it out. And I'm not going to murmur and complain. I'm not going to retreat. I'm not going to straddle the fence and be in and out of the game with what God said he had for me. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to stay focused. And no matter what appears to be happening or failing, God says it's going to happen. I'm going to continue to go step by step, stay focused, stay determined. I'm not going to let any setbacks discourage me. I'm going to continue to press on, and God's going to see it through. Amen? And we see here, he says, he shall bring it to pass. See, it's not even on you. He shall bring it to pass. So if we focus on him, we can trust God to bring those goals that are in alignment with his will for our lives to come to pass. Now, the question that he placed in my heart, though, is if you didn't set any goals in 2013, why are you surprised that your life hasn't changed for the better or improved throughout this year? Say that again. If you didn't set any goals for 2013, and as you sit here now and say, I'm about to go into 2014, and let's look at my accomplishments. Wow. Nothing major. Wow, this is a waste of a year. (laughs) Well, if it's a waste of a year, (laughs) don't look to him. (laughs) He didn't waste it. He doesn't waste his time. So if this was a dismal, defeated waste of a year, 
You got to, as Michael Jackson said, look at the man in the mirror. (laughs) 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 Got to look at the man in the mirror. Because God guarantees us fruitfulness. And if we haven't made any goals, why are we surprised that nothing major came to pass? And if that's the case, should we go to 2014 with the same mindset? Oh, just drift through the 364 and a quarter days. And maybe I'll look out and something great will happen over the course of the year. You might get lucky, but most likely you're going to do a repeat of this year. Amen? So we should go in planning. I'm not saying you have to have this big monumental Mount Everest vision open up in the heavens for what's going to happen in 2014. But what I'm saying is at least have something on the plate for the year that you want to accomplish. Amen? Just have something. And what you envision and what you desire could be something quite different from what somebody else desires. Somebody might say, I want to start a business. I want to make X number of dollars. You might say, I just want to get healthy. But if that's your goal for the year, make it your goal. Commit to it, stick to it, and believe God for it. Amen? And each one of those things is just as important from God's perspective, you know, to bless your life. Now, speaking of the planning as, and looking back over the last year, uh, I just mentioned accomplishments. And as we do that inventory of our lives, a lot of times we need to, to examine what has occurred, what has transpired, and say, what are my accomplishments versus my setbacks? You know, what are my accomplishments versus my setbacks? And as it relates to accomplishments, the Lord took me to Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. It says, Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord which exercised loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. So as we look back at all our accomplishments, all of our successes, it should not cause us to say, I'm a bad man. Look at me. Boy, 2014 is in for something. You see what I did this year? Man, I'm going to do it again. You need to be saying, no, he's going to let me do it again. Amen? (laughs) Because we see here, don't glory in your wisdom. You're not that bright. (laughs) No matter which, I have a high IQ. (laughs) Quantifiable and measurable. (laughs) I went into kindergarten reading at sixth grade level. So I got brain power. But I'm a fool in comparison to God. I'm a raving lunatic. Nutcase with no mentality, no brain power whatsoever in comparison to God. So no matter what I've achieved intellectually or in terms of life, business accomplishments, physical accomplishments, whatever it may be, all I can really do is say, thank you, God, that you graced me with the the capabilities to do it. Amen? You know, so I cannot glory in my wisdom. And it says you cannot glory in your might. You know, you might be a physical specimen, just won a gold medal, but you need to thank God for having that might to be able to do that and sustain that. Amen. Holly, one of the things I've seen in the NBA this year is like a lot of people have had repeated major injuries. You just got healed 
only to start playing. Kobe Bryant, Derrick Rose, just got back to playing. Bam, out. Wow. Great players, motivated, did all the physical things and retraining and rebuilding with their bodies to get out there. And next thing you know, bam, stricken again. And I'm not saying they didn't trust in God. What I'm saying is that for all our might, all our exertion and motivation to get back to be the best that we can be, like that, you could be out of action again. In their case, in terms of playing professional basketball. But in our case, there's a lot of areas where we could trust in our physical might, even our emotional might, and without God's intervention and protection, we could be knocked out of the game with a snap of a finger. So we need to trust God in his might. We see here, do not let the gl- rich man glory in his riches. Seen that over the years. People, one minute, they're rich in the next because of a start stock market bust, out of work, out of money. And we saw the Great Depression. One minute, people were in their offices drinking wine and whiskey, smoking cigars. The next, they were jumping out windows because their life changed that quickly. So no matter where we are financially, we cannot trust and boast in ourselves. But as we see here, it says, let the him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. And see, the thing is, when you understand and know God, whether you're up and down, whether you're physically mighty or you're incapacitated, you know that there's somebody above you that can guide your life, rebuild you, enable you to regroup, and get you to the place where you're satisfied in him and he's meeting all of your needs according to his riches and glory. When we trust in ourselves and our own plans, we're just a sinking ship waiting for <laughs> or waiting for a shipwreck. So as we look at the last year, once again, our accomplishments, we need to thank God. But in regard, it, in regard to the problems and setbacks, which ones did you overcome over the past year? Or are they still lingering? If they're still lingering, what plan do you have to resolve them as you enter into the next year? Or are you just going to sit back and let that problem just later and torment you forever? You know, what, what is your mindset regarding the problem? And if some new problems emerge, are you just going to lay there and let it buffet you, torment you, bring you anxiety for the rest of your days? Or once again, or are you going to go to God? And if you don't know your, your, your own intellect, of your own mindset, how to resolve that problem, are you going to God and say, give me the inspiration, the wisdom, the strength, and the peace to overcome this thing either before the end of this year or going into the next year? I just want to sit there and let this thing point its finger at me and taunt me. I want to overcome this thing. Even if it's just for a testimony of your power in my life, I want you to help me and guide me on how to overcome this thing. And it could be a small thing in your life or it could be a total stronghold over your life that's holding you captive. But we shouldn't be just sitting back, laying there, and just accepting problems, either staying in our life or continually repeating in our life. Instead, we should be going to God and say, help me vanquish this foe permanently. Amen? And there might be certain things you've got to deal with. But I think, you know, I look at Paul's situation. He said he went to the Lord thrice and said, take this thing from me. And the Lord showed him. He said, this thing is a thorn. (laughs) The messenger of Satan to buffet you. It's not going away. And once he got to the point, he said, okay, I'm not going to ask you to take it away anymore, but I'm going to ask you the grace to enable me to sustain it and weather it when it attacks. Amen? 
So there might be certain things in your life that are going to remain there. But at least ask God for the grace and the strength and the wisdom to overcome it when it attacks or to at least be able to endure and get to the other side to victory instead of just being beat up by the thing. Amen? Hallelujah. All right, so we looked at spiritual goals. We looked at personal goals. We also looked at accomplishments versus setbacks. And I guess the final thing I'll say about setbacks is have you let setbacks get you to a mentality where you're just thrown in the towel? That goal is never going to happen. I just give up. And it's one thing if you throw in the towel, you're pursuing something that God did not have for your life, and you said, I throw in the towel. <laughs> in that case, it's a sign of, oh, you finally got it. <laughs> now we can move you on. But if it's something God has for your life, why are you throwing in the towel? Because by you throwing in a towel, you're basically saying the problems associated with you achieving that goal are greater than the God you serve. How dare any of us throw in a towel on what God says is for our lives? How dare us? Amen. You've made God small in your sight. Just think about that. The book of, no book of Numbers. Moses sent out the spies. Go into the land flowing with milk and honey. They go out and spy out the land. They come back. And that's a good message for us, too. you got to watch who's talking to you about your goals and your visions. He sent out the spies, and they came back. And the ten of the spies were like, well, Joshua and Caleb said, oh, the land is filled with milk and honey and huge pomegranates and, and this and that. Oh, it's abundant with fruit and vegetables. Oh, we're going to eat great, and it's a beautiful land. Then the ten spies came in. Yeah, man, I saw all that stuff, but they got giants there. It's guys from Anak, the sons and brothers of Anak. They're giants. They're massive. They'll crush our skulls with their bare hands. We can't go in there. They're going to kill us. And what happened? The mouths of the ten spies got into the ears of the people, and it says they started weeping. They, they were dreading the fact of going into the very land they were promised, and it says that because they thought like grasshoppers or thought they were small, they became small. See, the enemy can get in your ear, get in your mind, get in your face and taunt you. And no matter how great the power God has divested to you to enable you to succeed, if you allow people to get into your ear repeatedly and speak negatively, negatively um, in a depressed fashion, or they doom your visions and goals, if you allow them to get in there and it takes a part of your mentality, they can prevent you from getting the promises that God had for your life. So you have to be careful. Joshua and Caleb had the mindset said that we're not going to hesitate. We're going to go up at once and get what God promised us. Amen? But what is our mindset in terms of setbacks? Do we throw in the towel? Do we say it's not going to happen? Do you become a part of the voices that spoke negatively to you? And it may not be people. It might be spirits influencing you. Or it may even be your own negative mindset based upon your failures in the past. What voices are you listening to as opposed to God? Amen? What voices are you listening to? Who is controlling your thought process? And how are you proceeding in terms of your mindset and dealing with setbacks in the past. Once again, if you've accepted um, defeat in terms of something that God has said is, is, is meant for your life, you're trusting more in the negative voice 
of that thing telling you that you can't have over the voice of God that says this was meant for you. Amen. And like I said, you're trusting the power of those things greater than the power of the one who promised it to you in the first place. So that's not something to beat ourselves over, up over the head over. But we got to do is go back. God said, I repent and I repent for not trusting you to be the one to control my destiny. You know, I haven't trusted you to have enough power to overcome the enemy and his voice and his attacks and his hindrances. But now I'm coming to the place where I trust you no matter what I see to get me to what you've shown me that you've made available for my life. Amen? All right, next I'm going to look at is relationships. Romans 12, 17 through 21. says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. <laughs> so we see here, in terms of relationships, God wants us to live as peaceably as possible with all people. And I know everybody's not your cup of tea. Some people are more irritating than others. Some people are just totally, thoroughly, unabashedly annoying. It always will be. And will not change and have no intention of changing and may be fully aware of the fact that they have in making your life miserable and have no desire to change whatsoever. So what does that tell us? We have to be the ones to change. We ha are the ones that have to develop thicker skin or some kind of mental, emotional insulation so that the barrage of nonsense they send our way bounces off our force fields. Amen? We have to be the ones to develop that. And as we see here, it's not just you ignoring what they say and not fighting back and forth with them and bumping heads, but it's an attitudinal thing. It's an emotional thing. It's a spiritual thing. God says here, see, you might not go back and forth with them, you know, playing the dozens or arguing and bumping heads, but just because you keep your mouth shut doesn't mean you're right. Because in your heart, you could be calling out <laughs> lava from volcanoes, lightning bolts, opening up the ground to swallow them up, <laughs> envisioning <laughs> them walking across the street and an 18-wheel comes by. <laughs> I mean, we can imagine some stuff in our head. So it goes beyond whether or not you say something. It goes into a matter of the heart in which you can start thinking, they irritate me, Lord, you got to help me, but Lord, bless them. And it's even hard for me to say, bless them. But Lord, just out of obedience right now, I'm going to say, bless them, give them salvation, give them peace, give them this. You know, it could be somebody at the job that's trying to go for the same position or promotion you're going for and... They're doing dirty things and spreading rumors to try to keep it. Lord, bless them, and, you know, just, just bless them, Lord, and you, and you do your will. If it's meant for me to get that, um, that position, then you keep the door open for me that no man can shut. If it's not meant for me, Lord, let your will be done. And even if it's that for that person to have, let them have it because I know you have something better for me, but I'm not going to get caught up in all that squabbling and manipulating and rumor spreading and all that nonsense. Because that's tactics of the enemy that I'm not going to yield myself to. I'm better than that. Amen? See, when you're when you the cream of the crop, a nation of priests, a peculiar people unto the God, you don't have to play their games. 
Because God's going to give you whatever's yours. Last time I checked, Joseph ended up being the governor of Egypt. He was a jailbird, accused of sexually assaulting Potiphar's wife. <laughs> so he's an ex-offender. Next thing you know, Pharaoh says, any word that jo- comes out of Joseph's mouth, everybody better do it. Bend the knee and do it immediately. He said, the only man that does not have to yield to what that man says is me, myself, and I. He said, anybody else in this entire kingdom, think about that. Egypt was the most, impa- most powerful nation on the earth. This dude is an ex-offender. <laughs> He's got a jail record. <laughs> and he comes out, and the greatest nation on earth at that time with the military, army, palaces, all this different stuff, wealth beyond comparison. Ex-offender comes out of prison, and the, the ruler basically says, do what he says, or you're subject to death or imprisonment. Wow. So you think God can't deal with you at your little corporation that you're working in when he put a jailbird in charge of a nation? Because <laughs> if you really think about that, because he told them to do everything that Joseph said, Pharaoh actually went from the place of thinking that he was a man-god on earth to now putting himself under him. He's really a puppet ruler. Joseph was really running the show to get them through that, through that um, upcoming drought. So he basically yielded to that point. So God could do that with an ex-offender. What can he do with us? Amen? I don't think any of us did jail time. I check on y'all. <laughs> oh, Lord. So not, we should not get caught up if somebody does or says something wrong, get caught up in returning fire. Instead, we need to return the fire of the Holy Spirit and fervent prayer, and as we see here, heaping coals of fire on their head, not to burn them and to avenge ourselves, but instead to soften the hardness of their hearts, to melt down the coldness of their heart so they are receptive to Jesus Christ touching them. And we see here it says, do not overcome, be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. It doesn't say God for God to do that. We know God's going to do that. He's telling us as individuals, Don't you become overcome with evil. Overcome their evil with the good that's within you. And if good is not within you and you cannot imagine praying for them and blessing them despite what they're doing, that shows there's something in you that's got to be worked out in God and purified so that you can have the same heart of compassion that Jesus had for those that came against him to bless despite the fact that they want to curse. Amen? So that's a work. That really just shows us a work that needs to be done inside of us. All right, next thing we'll look at is finances. Where are your finances at in 2013, and what do you have on the horizon for 2014? Once again, this is an area I think a lot of times people get caught up and buried in, and they just throw in a towel. But God could turn things around. Amen? We went through a process with me on being... From, from them outsourcing and downsizing, and I couldn't get a job for a while. Then I was self-employed, and I was basically just making just a bare minimum to keep us in the house and juggling bills and everything. And as a result of us doing the, the loan modification, um, you know, we, d- we did the finance, but we didn't know. I didn't even realize, so I saw an expose on CNN where all these people complaining, yeah, we got the loan modification, but they ruined our credit. I was like, what? 
I know they didn't tell me anything about that. So I went back and, t- and talked to them and said, oh, yeah, every time you're doing a payment, and I said, I've made every payment every month like you told me. Yeah, but it's considered a partial payment. So, yeah, every time you do that, we were putting a market. Seriously? It wrecked my credit. <laughs> so I was like, wow. Matter of fact, I got that. When I got the Audi, I didn't end up having to do it. But when I first went to get the Audi, I actually went to Capital One and got a um, got a, a, a bad credit loan. And they, they sent me a check in the mail. But then when the guy saw the check and the terms, he said, don't believe what this is saying. He said, even though it sounds like you're getting this rate and it's not that bad, he said, by the time they add this and that and that and this, he said, you'll get the car. That's not a problem. But he said, that's not a good deal. So he said, let me see what I could do for you. He called around and everything and um, got me a, a deal without going through that process with Wells Fargo. So I got the car anyway. And through the process of doing that and working, now our credit has been restored. But I'm saying, like, what if I had the mentality, like, oh, I could never have anything nice and my credit's ruined forever and oh, I just give up? Well, if you give up, that's where you're going to stay. So what I'm saying is if your credit is bad or you're not doing well financially, don't throw in the towel. Come into the mindset, like, okay, let me get a game plan. How am I going to come up out of this? You know, maybe it's budgeting. Maybe it's like, okay, I got to shut this off or I can't get that yet. Amen. There's different ways to do it so that you can bring yourself out gradually. And I think one of the problems is we live in such a microwave generation, we make mistakes. We want to be out of our problem now. Well, I serve right now, God. (laughs) Now faith. Now faith is a substance. I had somebody say it to me. You know, from Hebrews, now faith is a substance of things, hope for evidence of things not seen. The person said, oh, no, the emphasis is wrong. It's not now faith is a substance. It's now faith, now faith, not later faith, now faith. You ain't done your exegesis right. You just caught on a phrase that somebody had or some revelation somebody thought, like, that is not what it says. I've read it in the Greek. No, it's not now faith. Faith is eternal. Faith is past, present, and fr- future. Amen. We got to stop. See, when you tell people that, oh, it's now faith. Well, I'm going to get this now because I have now faith. But wait a minute. You buried yourself in that for 10 years. So then when a person prays in their now faith, I got to get it right now, they don't get it. Oh, God's word's not true. No, you jacked yourself up. You need to do some cleanup. (laughs) And God can give you now faith. But the reality is, what would we learn from our mistakes if every time we went and repented and prayed to God, he just, bam, immediately, instantaneously changes your life around. We would go from mistake to mistake to mistake to mistake because he would be the great sugar daddy in the sky. Bail me out, daddy. So sometimes we make a mess. Yes, God will restore you and will deliver you, but sometimes we got to learn some stuff and take a little spanking and bring ourselves up gradually so we can appreciate the mess he brought us out of. Because even though our times of having a bad credit was due to, like, the self-employment process of coming on, the downsizing, the outsources, and being laid off, that was no fault of my own. Matter of fact, my supervisor cried when he let me go. But it was like a corporate policy. We're letting go of all contractors, and we're going to outsource. And then at the time, you know, hunting for jobs, I went from, like, looking at the, at the time, the, the, the Philadelphia Inquirer, the Sunday edition, you had, like, 10, 15 pages and like, Probably like sixty percent of
Yeah, I would um, I went from time where the the pages of the one ads like 60, 70 percent had my name on it, and I'm like, shoot, apply for jobs, I get something quick. Well, this time <laughs> I went to the thing. It was like two pages. I think this is Sunday edition, two pages, and like one ad <laughs> is relevant to my skills. It was horrible. Horrible. I even had a guy I dealt with as a recruiter over the years. He told me, well, you know what? He said, you may even want to consider just going to school for a while, learning like some new language or something, because he said, I'm telling you, man, it's like horrible out here right now. So I went from that to like working from home, self-employed, doing websites and stuff like that. And then not only was I dealing with the self-employment stuff, which was a struggle, getting projects and stuff like that, but then you had the... um you know, just the, the issues of my, my health stuff came in. So all that on top of the, of the other issues, like the part I suffered was the credit score is going down. Amen? But like I said, sometimes stuff happens because we've made mistakes. Sometimes stuff happens just due to circumstance. But regardless of how it comes, don't just sit back and like, oh, I'm just messed up forever. No, make a plan, do something about it. Amen? And God can give you inspiration. And God has gifted people that can help give you inspiration. Amen? Because the stuff I've gone through, I can help some people come out of the stuff I've been through. And matter of fact, it's not always debt stuff. I've talked to other pastors now. They're like, oh, well, I want to incorporate my, business, my, my, my ministry. Or how do I get on the radio? Or how do I get credit cards for my ministry? Or just different things. Like I had somebody contact me a couple months ago. I'm about to incorporate my ministry. I don't know how to do bylaws and articles of, of incorporation. I was like, oh, I'll just send you mine and just tailor it to your needs. Bam. Person did it. So sometimes we go through stuff not only so we can learn how to get ourselves out of it, but also now we can minister that into the life of somebody else. Amen? So don't just sit back and say, oh, my finances are jacked up forever. Here we see 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 11. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil which while some have coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. All right, so it says here, godliness with contentment is great gain. Finances are a great thing, but even if you don't have the greatest finances, are you content in life? God wants us to be content. Just like in earlier on we saw that we need to seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness and pursue God and be comfortable in our relationship with him. Not only should we be content in that, but finances are good, but they should be secondary to our contentment before God. You should not be miserable because your bank account is not as full as you want it to be. And we all have needs. We all have expectations. We all have some little, you know, little side items we want. I like a gadget here and there because I'm a tech guy. <laughs> but that doesn't affect my contentment with God. If, you know, we watched the show Revolution where there was like, I guess, an EMP pulse and people were like living like they're in the old west with no technology. <laughs> we just never know when something like that could happen. You know, they said a lot of the, the power plants across the country are like 
just really hanging on by a thread. So the day could come where, you know, we don't have the technology, we don't have the money, we don't have the lecture, we just don't know. I mean, look at the people that have been faced with ice storms and hurricane and major blizzards coming through. They had to go without power for weeks. Amen. So we need to be content in God alone. And then all this other stuff is secondary. And we see here, here's the reason. We brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. Even if they put it in your casket, you ain't taking it with you. <laughs> ain't going to be, <laughs> they could put, you know, Grandpa could have gold ring, a gold necklace, and his best suit on when they put him in that casket. But guess what? Give it a year. <laughs> ain't going to be nothing but some bones there. <laughs> and that, that earring will be <laughs> dangling on that bone. I mean, I'm so the ring. The ring will be dangling on the bone. You can put it in there, but Uncle Johnny ain't taking it with him. He's going to stand before God, and it's going to be up and up or down express, but the jewelry will not be hanging on him. <laughs> so you can have a big clock around your neck like Flavor Flav, but it ain't going to go with you to heavenly places. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> and we see here it says that they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And see, the reason is that the, the attitude behind it. God's not saying being rich will be a temptation and, and a snare. He's basically saying when that is your sole focus, when that is your greatest love, the things that you have to do to gain it will cause you to fall into temptation and a snare. And it goes further and says the love of money is the root of all evil. Like, man, why pick money? Why is money the root of all evil? Evil. Shouldn't lust or pride or anger be the root of all evil? But the reason it's the root of all evil, if you go to the book of Ezekiel, it talks about Satan. And it talks about he was the covering cherub, and he was covered in gold and onyx and, and um, jasmine and gold and silver. He was covered with all these precious gems. And what happened is he looked down on himself. He said, oh, I'm incredible. Then his heart was lifted up in pride, and then he went to the... the the professions that he's going to rise, you know, above God, and he's going to be on the, on the mount above God and take all the angels, and he's going to rule all the creation. But it all started with him looking down and seeing the gold and the precious gems. And just think about it. What is the basis, or used to be the basis, it's not now, it's electronic, but it, the basis, the previous original basis of all monetary systems across the world has always been gold, silver, precious gems. So when Satan looked at himself and his heart was lifted up to pride, it started with him looking at the money. <laughs> and that's why money is the root of all evil. He didn't spend it. He didn't buy or trade with it. But the fact is, what he looked at became what all of us use as our measure of earthly wealth. Gold, silver, precious gems. So we are warned. It's not, there's nothing wrong with us getting material wealth, but is it your first love? Is it your sole focus? You know, when you compare what you will do for God versus what you'll do for money, will you sell yourself out and do anything to get a few dollars? But then if God asks you to do the same thing, oh, that's too difficult for me. A lot of people sell themselves out for money. I mean, we see it in entertainment all the time. And like I said, it, it bothers me when people say, I'm a born-again Christian. When you interview them outside the movie, but in the movie, they all, every profanity known to man, and especially using God's name in vain. 
I'd be like, if I'm a top actor, I'm like, you cutting that out of the script. I am not saying that line. What's the big deal? I ain't going to say that line. Won't say it. Amen. And these, some of these guys, they're big enough. They make it 15, 20 million dollars a film. They had that leverage. But so why are they compromising and, and speaking? I'd rather use, do the regular four letter words and use the Lord's name in vain. I mean, that's bad, but the fact is, you're using that too, and you call yourself a profession, professing Christian, you need to take that out of your vocabulary. I don't even know how you allow that to come out of your mouth. Before I was saved, I couldn't even say the Lord's name in vain. Even in my sin, I had too much reverence for God to use his name in vain. And I did use the other ones, but I didn't use that one. I just had too much reverence. But because of money and the lure of money, well, to sign that paycheck, that's what I got to do. I just do whatever that script says. I just roll around in the sack with this person. I'll curse like a sailor. And as long as my bank account's full, everything's cool. Well, one day it's going to come where you're going to stand before God. And he'll be like, you had the power. You wanted heavyweights of Hollywood, A-list actors. You could have took that out of the script. So they may not answer now, but they surely will answer later on if they don't repent. Matthew 6. 24, you can read 24 to 34. I'm not going to read the whole thing now. But basically the sentiment, um, Jesus himself is saying, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. A lot of people don't realize there's a spirit behind money, a spirit of wealth, materialism. And he's saying here clearly, you got to pick. And you might not think it's a stream. Oh, what's the big deal? It's not wrong with me making a bunch of money. Well, okay, well, you work 60 hours a week. You work day and night, but you can't give God two hours at church, yet you say you love God. It looks to me that you're worshiping at the altar of the Fortune 500 company that you're working for. Well, you can give that 60 hours of your life every week, and you can't give God two. And you say you love me, but you never come to communicate with me. You never, you know, fellowship with me. You don't spend time with me. You don't devote yourself to me. How can you say you love me, but yet you pursue that and you're there all the time to the point of exhaustion, but you say you love me over that? No, you don't. The proof is in your actions. And that's why God says here, you know, you will hold to the one, but despise the other. He says you actually despise me if you give those things higher precedence than you do with me. So people could give all the excuses in the world, and we could sit there and say, oh, it's okay, I understand. All I know is what Jesus is saying. You love the one and not the other. You hold to the one and despise the other. Jesus is saying from his perspective, if you focus on gaining money more than you do me, that is your God, that is what you love, and you despise or hate me. His words, not mine. Amen? So, a, you know, it's a shame um, that people make these excuses, and you go down further here, it talks about worrying about being sustained. And he says, I take care of the fowls of the air. They ain't, walk, they ain't flying around worrying. It amazes me sometimes. We just go out in the snow, we had these, the worst of uh, blizzards and ice storms, and you come out, and sometimes it just hits me, just like, man, how are animals surviving in all this? And you, you come around spring, and they're chirping, and <laughs> building nests, nests, and all spring are there, just like, sometime, somehow God did it for them. <laughs> he insulated them. He got them through. 
So why can't we learn the same thing that he also insulates us and gets us through as we exhaust ourselves trying to make things work? Let me see if there's anything else in there. Yeah, so he clothed, he says, take no thought for your life. That's not saying don't think about what you're dealing with financially. He's saying don't take a thought, like don't take an anxious thought, worrying and you know, chewing your fingernails and pulling out your hair or having insomnia, worrying about how am I going to survive this? God's like, I got, I got you. And sometimes God will allow us to go through stuff, and it's not even about us. It's about the people that watch us. Are they going to, you know, sustain their faith, and are they going to keep their commitment and their profession of faith the same as it was before they went through this time of trials and tribulation? Some of the times the test is not even about us. It's about the people that are observing our lives. And the thing is, God sometimes is trusting us to go through. You know, he's basically depending on us, not depending in the sense that God needs us to do anything for him, but God is, like, basically saying, like, this is my servant, like he did to Job. I trust them. Let them be tested so that I, who am invisible to them, can now be seen visibly to the people that are watching their lives and how they handle the circumstances. But how are we going through it? Are we murmuring and complaining or are we continuing to trust in God? And as we're going through the situation, are we pulling back a little bit in terms of our devotion to God? You know, I told you about the times we went through financial debt to the point where, you know, at one point they're basically like sell the house. Either give us 20 grand, pay us um, somewhere between six to eight grand a month on top of the monthly mortgage payment to catch up. It, like I said, and I told a guy, like, we can't do that. How in the world we could do that? The only reason we refinance is because we couldn't, you know, afford the re original mortgage. He said, well, there's one other thing you do. I was like, what? Sell your house? I'm like, you lost your mind. You were crazy. When I hit that top step, the Lord put a cessation in my spirit. I'm home. You go tell me to sell that? You lost your mind. <laughs> and God's got me there. Amen. But I had to trust him. And see, one of the things of trust is that no matter what I was going through, and there's a lot of stuff that happened that was discouraging, stuff that happened was out and out hurtful. I mean, hurtful. I mean, I, I go from position, you know, contract to contract. It seemed like every time something was going through and I was steady, somebody would come in that would get in the way. I was working for this firm out of um, Denver and New York. They loved my work and everything. They brought in another guy to, to expand the team. Then the guy that was had hired me, they decided to move him to another position up the ladder and to bring him to New York. And the new guy that was now in charge that came on after me, but he was a salary employee, he's like, oh, so you think you want to move to Denver sometime? He would joke every once in a while. I was like, mm, you know, politely, but nah, not going to happen. And after a while, he's like, well, we, you know, decided that we wanted somebody that's here local. So, you know, we really enjoy your work. Would you be interested in coming here? I said, I'm sorry, I'm just not able to do that. I said, I got kids in high school. Like, I just cannot relocate. And I said, I have responsibilities here in terms of ministry. I, I can't relocate. He's like, all right. And he said, well, you know, um, we'll just keep you on, you know, while you're looking for something else. And um, so I got a new job. And the thing is, the guy left quickly after that. <laughs> so I went to the next job. They, they patched me with this firm. I just literally, and I've been around all kinds of foreigners, Russians and Ukrainians and Indians, and to, to the point where sometimes I would work at Blue Cross and I'd be around in Indian people so much, I would come home and Pam was like, you're doing it again. Like, what? You're speaking with their intonations. 
So I, I knew how to interact with them, but yet I hooked up with this firm remotely where if you really work with some that are newer to America, sometimes they talk very, very, very fast. And then they have the accent and they mumble. On top of the quick speech, they bring the voice down really quiet and they talk like to slow it down, take a breath. You're allowed to take a breath. <laughs> and I couldn't understand them. So that lasted a short amount of time. Then I got hooked onto another one, and that didn't go through. And then finally I got this one that seemed like, wow, this is an incredible opportunity with this major corporation that says we want people around the country. We don't care where you live. We give you top health benefits, vacation, days off, all this other stuff. We send you two computers and stuff. And I was like, wow. So I got on board, and... They literally shipped the equipment to me. I was all excited, ready to go. They were supposed to do a demo for me that afternoon, and I was supposed to start the following week. So I was wrapping up my current project, getting ready to go. They are supposed to do the demo, and at 2 o'clock, the guy that was supposed to do the demo with me didn't call. I'm like, well, what's going on? So I waited a little bit in case he was busy, and I called, and I finally called up the person. He says, oh, you need to talk to so-and-so that hired me. So I called her up, and he said, oh, the reason so-and-so didn't do the demo is that we have to rescind our offer. And so when they, the shipment comes, you have to, like, tell the, the, the FedEx people, put it back on the truck and take it back. You want to talk about, like, the biggest, you know, they just had Jack, the Beanstalk movie and stuff. Just take that giant, ball his fist up, rear it back as far as he can, and punch me in my face as hard as you can. I mean, that's how hard that hurt. I mean, that, wait, it hurt so bad. But I still went to church that Sunday. I didn't skip church. I taught Bible study. When the offering basket came around, I put money. I didn't even have, I didn't have anything to base tithes on, but every week we put at least $25. I was like, I trust you to be my source no matter what I see. I trust you. You're going to do this thing for me. Amen. And now I'm the technical director of the flagship project for my company. I got multiple people under me, and they pay me a good salary. But I had to get through the, the dark days. Amen? Before I got to these days. So you can't let, you can't let these things hinder you. Amen? God says, take no thought for your life. Yes, stuff hurts. Stuff does make you and your humanity anxious. But the thing is, despite your anxiety, you still had to keep professing and moving on and doing the things of God, even when everybody else around you would say, this is ludicrous. I even got questioned before uh, by the pastors, just like, or, or, you know, you're just like concerned, like, can I have you teach it because you're not tithing? I said, no, actually, I'm doing more than tithing. You can't be. Like, look at what you put in here. I'm not making much, but I'm telling you, I'm giving you something even when nothing's coming in. It was so low. They literally thought I wasn't doing my tithes and offering. I was like, I'm actually doing beyond that. <laughs> well, you need to find it. I was like, <laughs> this is where God has me right now. <laughs> Call, call him up and tell him to get Brian a job. You got a problem with what I'm putting in. But the fact is, what I was putting in was more than relative to what I was bringing in in terms of income. We were giving more than what was coming in, even though it seemed like abysmal. <laughs> All right, so the last thing I'm going to look at is physical health. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, what? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Hallelujah. I think that says it all. We are the temples of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So therefore, 
we have a responsibility to take care of our temples, not only in terms of our spiritual health, but God's, you know, does, God wants us to come home with him, amen, but he don't want us to come home early because we just, just abuse ourselves. Amen. And abuse is not just you doing drugs or going out fornicating. There's other forms of, of abuse, just not taking care of yourself, you know. So God wants us to handle our business and to do what it takes to keep ourselves healthy. Amen. From a physical spec- perspective. Because the thing is, you could be very healthy in terms of your spiritual life, but if you're so sickly that God would have you go out to do something, but he can't because you're always sickly, you know, you're not going to be the asset to his kingdom that he would call you to be. Now, it's one thing if you're a person that actually has a physical ailment that's outside of your control, you know. You know, I know people, I know one, um, Sister Monique Purcell, a powerful singer, incredible. I mean, I've heard her sing, just like, sounds like the heavens are open up with a choir of angels, and she's singing by herself, just powerful singer. But she has, like, physical ailments that, the Lord has not miraculously healed her yet. She's still believing God for that. But in the meantime, despite the infirmity, she still trains choirs. She sings. She's cut CDs. I mean, she's just all that in a bag of chips. She's an amazing individual. And her profession of faith is incredible. So to the best of her ability, she uses her physical body to serve the kingdom um, despite the issues she suffers, so God will have us do the same thing as well. But without having any chronic condition, he wants us to keep ourselves healthy so we can be available to serve him. Another thing we see is from Proverbs 4, 20 through 22. My son, attend unto my words, incline thy ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thy heart, for they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Just look at that. It says that the words of God or life if you find them. So if you're not experiencing life and liberty and the pursuit of (laughs) justice in God, have you taken the time to pursue God's words? And when you've heard or pursued and found his words, are you heeding those words? It's one thing to find them, but if you're not heeding them, the promises associated with them are not going to uh, be provide it to your life. So it's not just a case of heed, finding them. You have to also embed them in your heart, meditate upon them, and absorb the principles, then apply those principles, and then God promises his, his blessings. And we see here, it's health to all your flesh, too. You could, a lot of the ailments we deal with are mental and spiritual in nature that manifest different things in our body, secretions. Um, I, I remember a guy in college uh, his girlfriend broke up with him, and he was upset. He kept trying to get her back, and she was like, no. You know, he made a mistake, and because of that mistake, she was like, no, we're done forever. And he kept stressing, and he's, you know, having some of us go to her and try to talk to reason with her, and she's just like, no, we're done forever. And all of a sudden, just one day, he's, he came over, we were hanging out, and like, I was just like, dude, like, what's wrong with your face? And I said, something's wrong with you, man. It's like, what's going on? And I knew, I was like, you, I said, you got to deal with the situation, man. This stress must be getting to you. He ended up getting what's called Bell's palsy. Like the right side of his face, the muscles started twitching or they got weak. And sometimes it looked like the right side of his face was just dragging, like dragged down a little bit. And, you know, he's, we reconnected on Facebook. So he's alive and well and healthy and, 
his face is back to normal. He's got a wife and kids, but the stress he was dealing with that with at that time literally messed with the nerves and the muscles in his face until he had an actual physical ailment, you know, a diagnosed illness of Bell's palsy, it's totally from the stress of losing his girlfriend. So imagine the ailments that we might be dealing with if we don't go back to the Word of God as we deal. I mean, we have enough stuff we deal with that can make, you know, you go nuts. Most of us have enough trials and tribulations, negative thoughts, people influences, all kinds of stuff coming our way on a daily basis that could cause us to be unhealthy if we choose to ignore the Word of God. And that's why it's important as he says in his word, to cast down every imagination and to take things back to the word of God. And despite what you see, pronounce the things of God. You remember the series we do? We did speak in the future and the manifestation. Speak those things that be not as though they were. It's not here right now, but I'm going to speak it into the future and believe God for it despite what I see here in the present. Amen. So there's power to our words and there's power to the mindset. And there's also healing to our natural bodies as we pronounce the things of God. And I'm going to close with one other scripture, Proverbs 17, 22. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. <laughs> a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. You ever see people sometimes, they just like, it seems like they're going through, but they're just jovial and they laugh and they smile and just something radiant about them despite, and you know that the person's really going through, but they just upbeat about it, and it seems like it energizes them, it keeps them going. And a lot of times, even if something is a sickness unto death, it just seems like even in them passing, it goes out more smoother and more peaceful than somebody that was uh, full of fear and, and complaining, and this isn't fair, and, and stuff like that. It just seems like um, even then, that is a blessing in their transition into eternity, amen? So a merry heart, but especially as a person is alive, you know, having that mindset, everything's going to be okay. Look at the Shunammite woman. It is well, it is well, it is well. And she saw her child raised from the dead. It's partially because of the mind, well, actually not partially. It was totally because of the mindset that she had. I'm not going to see the bad. I'm not going to murmur and complain. I'm going to continue to believe in God and profess that good things are going to happen. So we see here that having that mindset, contrary to what we saw with people having anxiety and it weighing on them and it's starting to um, hinder or harm their bodies by the negativity, merry heart does the exact opposite. It purges your body. It produces things that bless you and nourishment, nourish your body. And just like negativity can build, as we saw with Caroline Leaf, you know, you know, who switched off my brain, controlling toxic thoughts and emotions. In that book, she was a neurologist that studied the brain for over 20 years, and she literally diagrammed and showed in the book pictures of pathways in the brain based upon negative thoughts. And she said every time you start doing that, you continue to do that, the next time a negative or traumatic um, experience comes your way, your brain impulses automatically go down the negative pathways you built, and they grow and build new highways. Amen? It's almost like building roads out there on 295 or, or the expressway. So thinking negatively breeds future negativity. Your brain automatically tries to go down those pathways that are already built instead of starting from scratch. So you're actually building a network 
of negative thoughts that build upon each other and strengthen each other. And that's why sometimes they say it'll take you 21 days or, you know, uh, a continual profession of faith to reverse those pathways and build good pathways. Just think about that, getting away from the neurological aspects. Just think about that. If you ever had a cycle in your life and you were thinking negative and then somebody says something, you start thinking, and especially in terms of relationships, a mistake we make a lot of times is somebody says something wrong or did something wrong in the past. The next time you think of that person or they say, well, I want to talk to you about something. You ever have a time like you've dealt with somebody like that and they said, I want to talk to you. You don't know what the topic is. As soon as they say that, you automatically like, you're stealing yourself. I even caught myself doing that about a month ago. There was somebody um, having to deal with somebody at work, and the person had been aggressive and intolerant and stuff like that. And coming into a meeting, I kind of like girded myself and prepared that, okay, the person can be negative. The person came in, and I, I pushed myself to get outside of what I feel, but I, at least I was honest enough to say I knew I was feeling it. So as soon as I saw the person, I came in. And person reached out their hand, how you doing? I grabbed the person's hand and shocked them, like hugged them. Hey, man, how you doing? I ain't seen you in a while. Great to see you and stuff. And then the meeting, there was something bad that happened, but I still was prepared before that <laughs> to handle the situation better. And then in another case, I thought something bad was coming, and the person actually did something totally good. So I was like, man, I had to catch myself like, man, I was geared up for negativity. So we don't realize it, but we train ourselves sometimes and you have to think, if you're training yourself to automatically get your back up, as they say, or prepare to defend yourself or something like that, what is the ripple effect of that in other people's lives? If you think about that, you and that person, then them and that person, and them and another person, and then the network of people you're dealing with, and how much we were bombarding each other with ripple effects of negativity, and how we can reverse that when there's certain people in your life, you have the expectation that that person is going to be a blessing. The sense you have when you know you got to talk to them on the phone or interact with them goes up. You feel energized. You feel like you're quickened in your spirit. You're excited or have a good anticipation of running into them, but then other people, you feel the reverse. Just think about that. And think about how we can maybe start a ripple effect of good, having a merry heart about people we interact with and helping to spread that as opposed to all the negativity. Amen? All right, so I'm going to close with that today. We'll continue on next week, and we're going to look at We, we talked about some inventory we could take of ourselves ending the year. Next week, we're going to talk about some of the things from a text scripture, preparing the work, making it suitable for, suitable for yourself, establishing your domain, learning even from bad examples, and don't permit your field to be overgrown. Amen? Hallelujah. So we're going to continue on on these thoughts next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <coughs> Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Lord, for getting us through another year. We cannot thank you enough for your blessings for your anointing, for your divine favor. And right now, we're believing in faith 
even as the Holy Spirit seals us for redemption, even as the Holy Spirit seals us for peace, we praise and thank you, Father, that even now we come into complete agreement with each other as a corporate body, that we will undergird and support each other in prayer, that we'll believe, God, that this will be a year of miracles, this will be a year of manifestations, of healing, of deliverance, of wisdom, of witty inventions, of success in business, in academic pursuits, in terms of relationships. This will be a year in which the things that the canker worm and the palmer worm have stolen, uh, it will be a year of restoration. And we even thank you, Father, your word says if you catch a thief, Things have to be returned seven times. Right now, we speak those blessings, Lord. We praise and thank you, Father, that you would use us as assets to people surrounding us in our families, in our places of work, in sports organizations, in school. Everywhere we go, Lord, we praise and thank you, Lord, that your presence would surround us, Father. Hallelujah. That as we would walk, as we would drive, as we would talk on phones, as we would email, as we would interact with people everywhere we go, the fragrance and the essence of Christ would impel them to cry out for salvation, for healing and deliverance. We thank you, Father, that in the past year, hallelujah, as we look at setbacks, Lord, they were not meant for us to quit and to yield to the enemy, nor were they meant to govern how we perceive ourselves, Lord. But we praise and thank you, Father, if we've had any negative mindsets, Lord, hallelujah, that we would be purged of those ungodly thoughts. And Lord, you will permeate our minds, Father, with your word. Hallelujah. Take away every negative path pathway that's been placed in our brains, Father, and rewire our, our mentality and our minds, Father, that we would only see things according to your word, according to righteousness, according to the blessings that you have bestowed before us for the foundation of the world. And we just praise you, Father, that Hallelujah. As we go into this year, it will be a fruitful year, a year of abundance, not just for us, but also to be a blessing into the lives of others. We thank and praise you, Father, for peace. We thank and praise you, Father, for divine health. We thank and praise you, Father, that this will be the year of the sower for each one of us, Father, that everywhere we go, we will speak. And as we interact, we would not only fertilize the soil for ourselves, Father, but we would cause the things that we've planted into the lives of others to germinate, to, to pollinate, to grow, to produce a harvest for your kingdom. And we praise you, Father, that's our greatest desire, that we'd be closer to you than ever before, that we'd be more fruitful than ever before, that we could be a blessing unto your kingdom as you're a blessing unto us, Lord. So we praise and thank you, Father, for this, as well as divine safety for us and all of our possessions. We thank you, Father, that you bless not only us, but our households, Father. And we just give you the praise, honor, and glory for all these things, Lord. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Year of fruitfulness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know why it's on my spirit, uh, this, the part about the sowing as I was praying. So just keep that in mind that as we're going, we're sowing seed into the lives of others. We're sowing for ourselves as well. What are you sowing? Amen. What are you planting into your ground? What are you producing in terms of your harvest? You have a choice of, of planting weeds or, or planting fruits and vegetables and things that will grow into an abundance harvest, Lord. At least we praise God that we will plant good seed, verbally, physically, mentally, in every area in the coming year. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.